The other day, I was doing some shopping on the high street. And I had to, for a brief second, stand still. It wasn't that I'd been overcome by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that there was traffic that I had to let pass. It's good to let the traffic pass. That way you don't get knocked down. I have no objection to letting the traffic go in front of me. But I, I had to stop and wait on the pavement on the other side of the road for the automatic door at the co-op. And it niggles me. You know, I tend to approach it from a slight angle. You know, I sort of nip across the road, maybe not quite going the direction that I should. And perhaps my, my stride is a little bit longer than the sensor imagines it should be. And I come right up to the glass. And I have to stop. Until it slides open. I know it's not a major matter. It's only a brief second if that. You know, and when I compare the time that I wait for that door to open compared with how long I will spend looking at the biscuits trying to decide which one to get. It fades into insignificance. But sometimes a minor issue, a tiny thing, gets to us. It rubs at us. It works upon us. It works us into a lather. And we really needn't be that way. Sometimes people do that to us, don't they? They pester, they annoy us, maybe not directly, but their habits grate on us. Their tone of voice, how they say something, their undiscernible accent. It might get like a little bit of grit under our skin. And it's a small thing that they do. And we don't like it. Not one bit. We get irritated. Of course, if we allowed the fruit of the Spirit to grow within our lives, we wouldn't so much be bothered by others' methods, words, and actions. We would have love and patience. And we would think kind thoughts towards our friends and our family and those in our fellowship that are all different from us and therefore do things that are different from us. If you get wound up by someone or something in the church, don't forget to take the plank out your own eye before thinking of that splinter in the other's. 
I probably don't need to say that to you, do I? Because I'm sure that you, of course, are the sort of person who would be loving and gentle and kind and have delightful thoughts about the neighbour that's knocking at the door in the middle of the night asking for three loaves of bread. Wouldn't you? It is an unusual situation that Jesus is describing. We wouldn't expect someone to be at the door at midnight asking to borrow bread. Or at least I don't imagine that we would. But it is not simply that the friend is there at midnight. But the situation goes further back than that. The one banging at the door has already had a visitor come in the middle of the night to him. The one banging at the door has probably himself already been woken up during the night by the traveller who is hungry. The one doing the knocking knows what it is like to have someone at the door in the dark. But yet he goes and does it. People did not generally venture out in the dark during that time of the first century. They didn't have street lights. They didn't have torches. It was darkness. Perhaps there might be a large moon in the sky to give some light certain times of the year. But generally it was not safe. Darkness is given as a sign of the presence of evil throughout much of the Bible. And as we've sung, we're longing for that light. That light, Lord, the light. Nighttime was when people went to bed. And they stayed there till morning. And things wouldn't generally interrupt them. And if it was heading towards nighttime even, people would start planning ahead. Think of the road to Emmaus. How Cleopas and friend urge strongly the apparent stranger that is really Jesus. They urge strongly that he will stay with them because it is evening. And no one journeys in the evening. Yes, they will soon rush back to Jerusalem in the night. But they wouldn't normally have done that. Here in the parable, we have a petitioner who comes to the door.
And he's not asking for himself to be fed, but pleading the case for his friend. He's asking for bread for the stranger who is hungry. And this is all set in the context of the teaching about prayer. The passage comes immediately after quite a short version of the Lord's Prayer that encourages us to pray, give us each day our daily bread. Slightly different from what we have just prayed as we shared the Lord's Prayer together. We tend to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. And in fact, in the Greek, it's actually calling for tomorrow's bread to be received. To be received now. Give us now the bread of tomorrow. It's looking forward for that which we would not normally expect until the following day. It's a prayer for the coming of the kingdom now. That we might see something more of what will happen at Christ's return. Not waiting for that day, but seeking it now. Is that what we do, I wonder? Not just in our prayers, not just calling out in that way, but is this our action as members of the body of Christ? Are we seeking that thing that's for tomorrow to come today? Do we seek it? Or are we happy to rest on our laurels? Do we have an I'm all right, Jack, attitude to our faith? And I've done my bit. Someone else can do it. Maybe we haven't even done it in the past. But simply take the fact that salvation is by faith, not works, to be an excuse for our inaction. We say, I've found the Lord. Salvation is by faith, that's me. Sorted. Faith in our heart, without our body being engaged, is not really proclaiming Jesus to be Lord of our life. It's not really following his teaching example which requires us to show love for the world look at the people in the parable the faithful petitioner is asking for bread to be available in the darkness and this is what we are called to do not for our personal benefit we have received we were safe The petitioner was tucked up in bed, probably. But we are to step out into the night, into the dark world, for the one who has nothing. 
Jesus is teaching us about being persistent in the bringing of our intercessions. Our prayers for the dark, hungry world that needs the bread of life. But he's also setting us an example of how to live. The recipient of the pleads in the parable gives in. And in this case, it's, it's just to make the night caller be quiet and go away. Because the person's been constantly there. Because of his boldness. Because of his audacity. Because of his persistence. You'll go, oh, here's the bread. But then Jesus says, you know, this isn't quite how God is. Jesus accepts that the story only goes part of the way. Jesus points out that the story breaks down. That it's an inefficient metaphor. Because the loving father doesn't get irritated by our prayers. He's quite happy for us to go on praying. He is full of love. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, swift to bless. He doesn't give a snake instead of a fish. He doesn't give us scorpions instead of eggs. God responds to the prayers we make with love. He offers us, as the man woken up in the parable does, as much as we need. But with God, it's not because of the nagging, not because of that boom, boom, boom at the door. God blesses us because he is perfect in love. God gives good gifts. When we pray for ourselves and our friends, God doesn't always answer in the way that we hope that he does. In the way that we think he should. But then again, our understanding of our need is not always God's understanding of what we need. And we have to listen to what God wants us to pray. When we ask for healing, he will heal. But that way of healing is sometimes the cure of an illness... And sometimes it's touching us in a different way. The way that we really need to be healed. A greater restoration of wholeness. That needs to take place. We need to know. That we need to pray. We need to ask. We should seek. We should knock. And knock again. And knock again. And knock again. 
when we pray in such a way, it shows that our prayer life is an active, ongoing thing. It shows that we are engaged in that issue, that it's not just crept off our tongue, but that we recognise there is a real need. A prayer not spoken is not going to be answered. In the passage, in particular, we're drawn to the asking for the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, if you then, though you are evil, I love how Jesus gets away with that, you know, he talks to this crowd and calls them all evil, and they don't seem to bat an eyelid. You, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The Holy Spirit that comes to heal, to cleanse, to encourage, to inspire, to lead us forward as God's people. We are evil. Yet the Lord will give us his spirit. And how can we be sure of this? Because we've already seen the example of his love in Jesus. He has already given us his son, his son to take away our sin. And it is God's Son that promises that that Spirit will come to us when we ask. That the Spirit will come, it will dwell in our hearts and set us apart from the world. And Luke's Gospel repeatedly reminds us that as individuals and as the church, we need the Spirit to breathe upon us. To fill us with life anew. So let us ask that the Spirit may come among us and that it may guide us that we may play our part in proclaiming the kingdom. That we may have that Spirit filling our lives. Not for our own benefit, but for the glory of God. And so that we can be out there in the world, declaring that love. And seeking that bread of tomorrow that people need today. Let us, empowered by the Spirit, see doors across the whole village be open to Christ. And may that happen now.